Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and it is awesome to see all of you. It is a delight to be able to gather together uh, in this space, but also extend it out to people who are catching this on live stream, and even people uh, who later in the week or the month will be listening in the podcast. We are thrilled to be able to connect and gather in so many ways to engage with and center our lives around uh, the living God. Uh, So with us now being together, will you please join me as I pray. God, we give you great thanks for the work you've already been doing as we have been engaging with you uh, already, uh, together, moving, singing, uh, being in line, walking, taking communion, all these things that we have been doing in your presence and with you. Uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to move in us, continue to uh, open us up to new opportunities, to be able to explore new realities and, uh, and see new things um, about you. And so today as we engage with you, please be present with us and uh, yeah, move in the way that only you can when we are gathered together. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in week four of our sermon series entitled God in Us, where we are uh, spending 10 weeks engaging with the Holy Spirit. And we've been very intentional about using that word engaging with the Holy Spirit instead of saying it's a 10-week study on the Holy Spirit or a 10-week look at the Holy Spirit because we want to emphasize the, the relational nature of, of what we're doing, that it's not just an object uh, that we're studying or a theory or something like that, but we are engaging with the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want to quickly recap as we're in week four of the previous three weeks. Week one, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit is a person. Being a person, they are distinct. And being a person, the Holy Spirit is mystery. And we talked about how we can't always see the Spirit moving, but but Scripture talks about how you can hear the wind, and when we look at trees, you can see the wind moving through the trees. And so we began to explore what it looks like to see where the Spirit is at and be able to partner and engage with the Spirit in those places. Week two, we talked about how God is a giver and a generous giver, so much so that God gives His very self in the Holy Spirit. And that that gift to us, the Spirit giving himself, enables us to do two things. The first is to be able to say Jesus is Lord. We looked at the passage that says no one can say Jesus is Lord without the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And then we also looked at where the Spirit enables us to cry out with Jesus, Abba, Father. To be able to to sort of enter into that word of intimacy with God and that life and that relationship of intimacy with God. And then last week, Rich talked to us about the transforming friendship of the Holy Spirit, that there's someone who comes alongside of us and is faithful and reaches out and speaks to us and blesses us in so many different ways and began to challenge us to be able to open our eyes to see and move in those spaces. And today, we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now... Having said that, when I said that, there were some of you who got really excited. There were some of you who got curious, and there were some of you who got really nervous. I am not probably going to satisfy or scratch any of those itches for you today. If you fall into any one of those categories, if you're really excited, I just want you to be ready, be open to that excitement maybe being redirected in a different direction than you're thinking. 
If you're curious, that's probably the safest place to be in today. Um, if you are nervous, uh, I may not necessarily say anything that's gonna sort of squelch or sort of settle that nervousness, but can you be open to that nervousness being a pathway into something bigger and better? Before we get into the specifics of the baptism of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, I wanna start with this reality that God is an extravagant lover. And I think that's really important to have as a foundation. And I have had the, the privilege of seeing examples of extravagant love in my life. This is my grandpa and my grandma. My grandma's name was Osbjorg, or she changed her name to Ruth when she moved to the States. And my grandpa's name was Bernardino. Um, and this was in the early 40s. Uh, and this is on their wedding day. And you can see there's a little bit of, my grandfather especially has this little bit of a like mirthful, playful look in his eyes. Like this is gonna be so much fun. I'm entering into this brand new thing. Um, my grandmother was also very much like that. Uh, but this picture was taken uh, much later and I think captures a little bit of their playfulness together, their love and desire, and just the joy they had in being together. This is one of my favorite pictures in the whole world. Like, I feel like I could look at this and remember my grandparents for a long time. But this is exactly who they were, right? This, this captures so well their joy in being together and just the sort of extravagant fun they had together. Now, I was also fortunate to live with these people. Uh, this is taken in 72, so I'm the little kid in the lower right. Um, and I was about three, my brother next to me is one and a half, that's my mom and dad. Uh, we're very happy, young family, we got the nice wood paneling in the background uh, that, that uh, is just awesome. Uh, but this was taken just a couple years ago of my parents. And the thing that I love about this picture is it characterizes a key aspect of my parents' relationship is that they are always together moving in the same direction, right? That right there, we're on Decatur Island and they're looking out at something, but they're, they're always like this. They're always looking together, exploring together, moving in the same direction together. And I want you to know today that that's the kind of relationship that God invites us into, one of extravagant love and joy and desire and fun and movement, but also moving in a direction together. And that God wants this extraordinary and extravagant relationship with the entire world, with every single person. When we sang that song today, uh, uh, So Will I, Eight Billion Ways, eight billion is not just thrown out there as some random number. It's really close to the population of people on our planet, right? Every single person, eight billion ways that we can see God, we can see his heart, what he invites us into. Because God doesn't offer us a minimal sort of just check the box salvation plan. It's not just to get taken care of that sin thing so we can kind of get off and do what we want to. It's not just a lifeline thrown out from some distant source and then we sort of get tugged along through life to a safe space later on. God dove into this life. We call it the incarnation. Jesus became a human being, fully human, one of us. 
I remember I talked about this a few weeks ago, but I was at a camp recently, and we were singing that song, In Christ Alone, and there's a line, fullness of God and helpless babe, and as we sang that phrase, helpless babe, someone who had brought their six-week-old daughter with them was crossing right in front of me as I was looking at the screen, helpless babe, and I realized that I've never thought of Jesus younger than maybe a year old, right? In my imagination, in the manger, He's, he's way more developed than a six-week-old is, uh, or even younger, right? It's just that I realize the culture has fed me ideas, and we want those pictures to look pleasant, and so he's always much more capable. But this was a helpless six-week-old, and Jesus became that. Didn't put it on like a disguise, but fully became that. Lived our life so he knew all the things that we know, joy, desire, betrayal, loss, pain, happiness, all the things that we experienced, Jesus knew, and then died our death to be raised again. In this world of extravagant love from God, the cross in, in, in a weird way is almost like a marriage proposal. The minute we say yes, the minute we let even a mustard seed of ourself, scripture says, move in the direction towards God, he invites us into his family the human family, so that everything that pertains to Jesus is now ours in grace. Listen to what Ephesians 1, 1 through 3 says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. So what we experience is this reality that God could not have gone any further on our behalf. Just couldn't. That's as far as you can go. To put yourself in the place that he did, to make the sacrifice that he made, to die our death, live our life, that's as far as you can go. And then what we find is in Christ is we have these spiritual blessings that the, the one I think is the most fantastic is that when we are in Christ, we get to enter into the fellowship of what we call the Trinity. This reality where God exists as three unique persons so united that they are one. And we get to be part of that family, of that relationship. And we've talked about this before where each member of the Trinity never seeks to dominate over the others, but they're always moving in this constant sort of dance of love and care for the others. And we get invited to be part of that, to be, have a place in that. And so what God wants now is for that love that exists among the Trinity that we're invited into to abide in us. For God's very nature to dwell in us. And so what happens is as love dwells within us, we become these overflowing fountains of extravagant love and grace. And that we could experience in our own person the transforming friendship of God that changes us. And so we become more like Jesus. But the God of this relational love always respects 
the other, respects the personhood of the other. So we're invited, but never forced. We can say no, and we can say yes, and on some days we say both. Often we say just a little bit, just enough to get me through today. Because all of God's love, all of God's presence often leads us into things that are so far beyond what we can imagine that they're scary. They're challenging, but they're amazing. They're world changing. And so that's why when I go back and I say, God doesn't just offer us a checkbox salvation where we can just say that and then I'm gonna go about my own ways. Because that's not what we need. We need an immersive relationship. We often experience this extravagant love from God, but again, on our side, our our response is less than that. When God says, come on, let's walk together. Let's, Let's sit together on the beach and look out and dream about what can be. Let's embrace. Let's look into each other's eyes with a little bit of fire. Let's get about this adventure. There's so much that we can do together. And we say, that sounds great, but my plate's really full right now. And I really only have so much time, so much space for you. So maybe Tuesday at noon, maybe that works. And so what we end up doing is thinking that the only way we can relate to God, the only way we can be in the presence of the Spirit is in a certain specific time. Instead of moving and seeing in this kind of dance and having the Spirit be ever-present. And so we limit the Spirit. We limit the Spirit's outflow in our lives. And so instead of an overflowing fountain, it's more like a little trickle. And so in order to experience full life, to have full joy and experience peace that surpasses understanding, in order to be able to walk with those who are suffering, and in order to embrace and endure the reality and call of Christ followers to suffer on behalf of others, including our enemies, we need more than a partial baptism. We need more than a checkbox salvation. We need an immersive relationship. Well, so what is that then? What does that look like? Is there a difference between having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? Is it broken down into multiple phases like that? Let's look. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. We already quoted this verse earlier. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So whether it's us or the disciples, anyone, it can't be on our own strength or our own power. The Spirit empowers us to both receive and say and believe that Jesus is Lord. Okay, Acts 1.8, Jesus is talking to the disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Many people would say, at this point, the disciples believe. They've already said Jesus is Lord. So they have had an engagement with the Spirit on some level, but Jesus is saying something else is going to happen and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that happens in Acts 2.4 on the day of Pentecost. We have the believers, the apostles there present. They're praying together. 
And it says there was a sound like a wind. And there were flaming tongues above each person's head. And they began to praise God and sing in, in different languages. And the people outside who, who those were their languages, they started hearing those and they thought they were drunk. Because they looked at them and they said, I know where you're from. This can't be what's happening. You have to be drunk. And Peter, giving one of the best defenses against being drunk, said there's no way we can be drunk at this time of day. Um, <laughs> which, as we know, doesn't necessarily hold true. But he was doing his best. And, and instead he said, no, we're not drunk on alcohol. We've been filled with the Spirit. And, and, and he told the story. And a whole bunch of people believed in Christ that day. They had their moment where they were empowered to say, Jesus is Lord. We look further on in the book of Acts, in Acts 6, 1 through 7, it says this. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the uh, Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the apostles are in this spot where they're finding themselves too busy with all the activities they have going on to pay attention to the things that they feel like they've been called to. And so they say, we need to find some other people to do this. And the thing we really need them to have is to be full of the Spirit. If this wasn't uh, uh, something that could be distinguished, then it wouldn't need to be called out. And so I feel like here there's a, an ability to see like, okay, so for this specific task, we want people full of the spirit and full of wisdom, right? It's from the group of disciples, right? So, so you've got this larger group, you've got the apostles, you've got this larger group of followers, and they're saying from this group, pick 12, Not 12. Sorry, pick seven. I always think 12 when I'm thinking apostles. There's pick seven that are filled with the Spirit. So it's very possible that there are others who weren't filled with the Spirit who are in that group. So there's another possible allusion to this. And then in Acts 8, 12 through 16. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so again here, when we talk about being baptized, and we baptize someone, the idea is that they believe in Jesus. And so I feel like the same thing. When they're baptized in the name of Jesus, right, there's a belief. There's a, there's, a, there's a presence there that they're able to say Jesus is Lord. So an interaction with the Spirit 
should have happened, but now they're saying there's this other thing. The Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. And then lastly, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Again, this is speaking to the Ephesian church, so to a group of believers, saying, be filled with the Spirit. So again, it has this feel, this nuance of, there are some of you who maybe you have given your life to Jesus. You've had that moment with the Spirit where you've been empowered to say Jesus is Lord, and I'm telling you, that's so awesome, and then there's more. Um, Sticking with this passage, drunkenness facilitates and often causes people to do things we wouldn't normally do that are often not helpful. Um, I have a friend who was, uh, he was a martial artist like me, and there was a, a party uh, that he and someone else had planned. The, the story goes that, uh, so there's the friend and then there's this other person who, uh, they organized the party in a house that they had just moved out of, um, but the people who owned it were gone and they still had keys. And so in the making of like one of the best teen movies ever, uh, they decided let's go have this party in that house because who would ever come back in the middle of their vacation? Uh, so the party was raging, um, and they came back. <laughs> the owners came back. It was a very tense moment, um, which it should have been. Uh, the, this friend of mine, though, was, uh, he was feeling super antsy that day. Uh, he, he had a lot to drink. And, uh, and so he's feeling like he wants to fight the owners of the house. And he's saying, like, well, let's, let's go get them. Uh, the rest of us said, well, let's go eat. Let's go to Denny's, and we'll go eat. And so we got some food. And then uh, one of our other good friends, this, this guy was just going on and on and unable to kind of stop talking about, I want to go fight them, I want to go fight them. And so this other friend said, you're right, let's go. Put him in the van and then drove him around till he's passed out. Because uh, <laughs> that's what a good friend does, right? But it's just one small example of, Like, alcohol will open doors, drunkenness will open doors that we may not normally go through. Paul is saying, don't be given over to that. Be filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to facilitate and create opportunities that are beyond ourselves, but they're good. They're for good. They're going to open you up to new things, new experiences, new way of thinking, And the awesome thing about this is the verb that is used here for filled or being filled, being filled with the Spirit, every time it's used, it's used in a tense that is an ongoing sense. So it's not just one time and then, now it's all done. I don't ever have to think about this or work at it at all. Paul says it's ongoing. So it would be like if someone asked me, Greg, do you have extravagant love for your wife, Angie, who's sitting back there running the slides awesomely. Um, And I said, oh, sure. I felt deeply in love with her in kind of 91, 92. And that was all it took, right? I've got that date to count on, so it doesn't matter what I do now. I fell deeply in love, and so of course I have extravagant love that's flourishing and extravagant and all that. But the person didn't ask me about 28 years ago. They asked me now. Is it present now? And I would say, yes, that moment opened a door, 
but it still has to grow. And I still have to work at it every day. And love fuels that work. And it's the same with God. God says, I have an extravagant love for you. Will you let my spirit dwell in you every day? And again, God says, come on. There's adventure out there. There's work that needs to be done. Let's look into each other's hearts and see what we discover as we move together. Because the baptism of the Spirit is an ongoing process of immersion in the person and nature of God in such a way that we are empowered to move and act in ways that are beyond who we are and what we can do. And this we see in scriptures expressed in lots of ways that we call the spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about those in later sermons in depth. But what I want you to hear is for some people, this happens right away. It's very concrete. They can name a day. Boom. Others, it's over time. It's more fluid. Um, And I do want to take time to acknowledge that we are an Assemblies of God church. And that means, as, as the Assemblies of God in their doctrinal statements believes, that there is, uh, <clears throat> with the baptism of the Spirit, there is an initial piece of evidence. Something that, that they can look at and people can look at and say, okay, I feel like this is a good marker for us to establish as someone who has been baptized or is full of the Holy Spirit. And that is the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, if you were... Uh, excited when I said baptism in the Spirit earlier, you just got really excited. If you were curious, you probably got more curious, and if you're nervous, you probably got more nervous. But a few years ago, we had uh, the president of Northwest University come and speak to us about speaking in tongues. And one of the things he said that was so, just really helped uh, my thinking about this was that speaking in tongues is the one place where we get to engage with God and we get to do what he calls speak off script, right? And by script, he meant sort of the words and and labels that the world hands us about ourselves. Lies that we hear, things we're told about what we are and what we're not. The, The media and the culture will tell us every day that we're not enough of something. And so he spoke about speaking in tongues as this time where there's a freedom to speak off of that script and you get to set that aside because that is not who we are. And so there's an act of freedom that comes with this movement of the spirit. And I wanna press us a little bit in how we think about speaking in tongues because we often think about it with some very uh, sort of defined boxes. Um, but speaking in tongues often, when it's with God and an individual, it's, it's kind of whatever in the sense of there doesn't need to be anyone there to interpret it, um, where when you're in groups, the, the, the option we're given in Scripture is there needs to be someone to interpret it. If someone were to speak out in tongues in our congregation, we would wait for a moment of interpretation. Was there anyone who... You understood that, and then you can communicate with the rest of the group what was spoken. In private times, it's a spiritual interaction with God that is between you and God. But I've experienced, and know people who have experienced other things with this that seem like there's more than just those options. Um, I have a a good friend who... um, 
has been a campus pastor at Western. Again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Brady Bobby has been a campus pastor there for 45 years. Um, and it was celebrated at our annual conference for our denomination in the Northwest uh, District. And one of the things that caught my attention was Brady's been doing this for 45 years. Um, and yet he's, he's constantly moving away from the age group that he's speaking to. And yet his words and ability to connect with that age group, if anything, have gotten stronger over the years. Is it any less a miracle of hearing and understanding for a person who has moved so far beyond the age group that they're ministering to to still be able to connect with that age group than it is for someone to speak in a language that isn't theirs to a hearer who can hear it? Is it any less miraculous for someone of a different ethnicity to be able to listen to someone speak uh, uh, even a cultural language that they don't understand and hear it and for the first time go, I think I actually understand is it, I would say it's much more miraculous right now for people on different political sides of, of, the, of the, the, whatever you want to call it, left and right, to be able to listen to and hear each other and speak in ways that we can understand and actually move forward. I think those are just as much miracles of hearing and understanding as the language barrier. In fact, I would say in our culture right now, there are cultural groups, whether it's ethnicity, gender, political, uh, socioeconomic, I think those divides are even stronger than a language barrier. And so I've I'm, I'm been asking myself and beginning to explore, what does it mean to speak and to hear in languages that are not my own? And could it be that God is bringing us into a new space of trying to hear people who don't speak our language and try to hear and understand? Because I think that our world needs that more than ever. And so I wanna, I wanna put that out for you to wrestle with along with me as we try to figure out what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? What does it mean to speak and hear in languages? What does it mean to be free to speak off script? What does that look like? And is that the initial evidence of the baptism of the Spirit, is a newfound freedom to move in ways that we haven't before, to speak into a culture and to hear from a culture in ways that we haven't before? With that, as we start heading into wrapping up, the question most people ask is, okay, that all sounds awesome, how do I get it? Because th that's what we do. We want to know, how do, how do I get this thing? How do, I, how do I grab it? How do I make it happen? Because that all sounds fantastic, or maybe it doesn't sound fantastic, but it does to me. The challenge is, it's not a duty-bound thing, it's not a results-bound thing, it's not a box to check off, and, and that's really hard for us because we are so checkbox results-oriented. And the reality with this is simply you have to want it. Um, it's like being hungry or thirsty. I could ask most of us right now, do you need to eat food? Hopefully all of us would say, well, yeah. Do you need to drink water? Absolutely. Are you hungry not, right now? Maybe not. Are you thirsty right now? Not really. Because it's very different when you actually feel that hunger, when you feel thirsty. For me, a glass of ice water when I'm thirsty, it's amazing. 
Right? For a lot of us, uh, a, a hot beverage in our hand on a cold day goes in, warms our body. Right? We know that feeling when we long for something. And so that's the thing. Do, do, we, do we long for, do we hunger for an immersive relationship with God that invites us into newer and bigger understanding? And then out of that desire, simply ask. But, but also be ready for it not to happen maybe the way you necessarily think. So when you ask, be open. And to be open, sometimes we have to kind of remove some obstacles. Um, one pastor I was, uh, I was talking to about this um, had had a, an illustration they used of like a water pitcher with some rocks in it. Uh, and the rocks represented things that, that uh, were sort of in direct opposition to the kingdom and the kingdom of God's movement and, and to God's invitation to us. And um, they named those things, things like, Shame, false names, um, addictions, idols, hatred, lies, uh, all these things that, that, that he would say hindered the flow of the spirit, that, that, that took up space in our person that was meant for that wellspring to fill up. We talked about John 7, and, and we read that Jesus says, out of me, there's gonna be rivers of life flowing in this sort of endless reservoir of the presence of God. And I, and I liked and disliked that illustration, and I, I almost did it here this morning, but what happened in my brain, and for those of you who know my brain, this won't seem surprising, um, I came up with too many other ways that I started saying, oh, what if this is in the picture, and what about that kind of thing, and well, that doesn't really describe that. And so a couple of those would be um, like desires we have that are not necessarily bad, but have somehow kind of attached some unhelpful things to them. Right? Maybe we're ambitious. Being ambitious in and of itself is not bad. But when amb ambition becomes the Lord of who you are, that's when it becomes dangerous. Right? And so then I started to think, well, maybe it's not so much like a rock. It's like those little dinosaurs your kids put in water and then they grow. Right? That it's not bad to start with, but now it took up the whole thing. Right? Or maybe it's like a water balloon filled with something good, but it's got this casing around it. And then I just had to stop. Um, <laughs> And I stopped on uh, Greg Boyd, who's a, a pastor in Minnesota that I, I like and a theologian. He said that uh, all the stuff in there that's not supposed to be there, uh, it's really like constipation. It's spiritual constipation. Uh, and for some reason that, I understood that really well. Um, but it's just a blockage and it, and it needs to be removed. Uh, and so you have to get rid of some of that stuff. And then the desires and the other things that aren't necessarily bad, those things, I think what they need is to die, but not to die and be obliterated, but to die because there's usually something good in a lot of the desires we have. They need to die and be resurrected. But the model of scripture is not when something dies, it becomes obliterated. Jesus changed that. When something dies, it's resurrected and transformed into something new something that it should have been, something that was the way God intended it for. So maybe the desires we have that have attached onto other things that have sort of crunched them into place, God desires for them to die in the way they're being expressed right now and reborn into something that they've been meant to be, something transformed. But like Jesus' body when he was resurrected, it wasn't obliterated. 
It was different. There was much of it that still was the same. And so then what does it look like to, to remove these rocks, to, to, to allow these things to be transformed? Well, lots of times it takes counseling, takes confession, repentance, forgiveness, both receiving and giving, believing new things, good things about yourself and about God. Before we move into our last questions, uh, the way this has been expressing itself in my life lately uh, has to deal with my kids. Um, I've been learning to apologize to my kids a lot lately, right? That, boy, that thing I was trying to tell you, I still think that's true. Um, and this is the way the conversation will go. Hey, Gianna or Mariella, when we were talking about this thing earlier, the way I said it was just not cool. Um, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, I, I'm gonna really work on trying to find a different way to do that. Will you forgive me for that? Um, and sometimes they're like, oh, whatever. And sometimes they're like, you're weird. And then other times they're like, yeah, no, I really, it was hard for me or I didn't like it when you did that. And I've decided if they think I'm weird, that's, they already think I'm weird, so that's not changing anything. <laughs> If they think that, and if they trust me enough to tell me, yeah, what you did, that wasn't cool, then it's totally worth it, right? Then we're having a great moment, and now I have some things to work on, right? And I've also decided with them um, that, that I'm going to listen to them before I argue with them, right? That sometimes when they're talking to me, they come up and they say, hey, Dad, I was wondering if we could go, and instantly in my mind, I'm already thinking, no. No, we can't because we have this and we have this and we have this. And, I, and I've worked up a whole system before they even get their question out. And I've just decided and I'm asking them to do the same thing. When we're talking, if you ask me something and I listen and I try to imagine and dream with you what that possibility could look like and is it really real or is it really just something I don't want to do, but I could do, is it really a bad reason? As we begin to explore this, what does that look like? And then ask them to do the same. If I say no, here's why. Can you, can you listen to me and hear my reason before sort of having your rebuttal ready? And it's been really hard. <laughs> it's been really hard. Um, but I find I'm growing. And I, and I feel like I'm, uh, Jesus is inviting me in, in that to become more like him. I feel like he could ask good questions because he actually listened. Um, so that's just some simple ways that, that's been expressing itself in my life. Um, I have a couple of questions. Worship team, if you could come forward, that'd be awesome. A couple of questions that uh, if you want to write these down on your connection card, the, the answers to these and put them in the wood boxes, that's great. Or one of the things I love, I know we say silence your cell phone, but at this time I love to see people taking their phones out and taking pictures of this because it lets me know like, oh, I'm gonna take this home and, and think about it. Um, so that's fantastic. Um, but the questions for today, does being baptized in the spirit as we talked about it today seem like something you desire? And it doesn't matter if you've already experienced it or not. If do you in this moment, the way we talked about it today, is that something that is appealing to you in a way that you can feel yourself kind of hungry for it? Two, what rocks might you have that are blocking up the flow of the spirit in your life? 
So these are the things that, uh, like shame and lies and things that, that, that really aren't good and aren't of the kingdom and are opposed to the way an extravagant lover moves in the world. Do you have any of those in your person that you're like, yeah, that thing, that, that needs to go. The way I'm engaging with this person, that attitude, that is not healthy and that needs to go. Number three, are there things in your life that need uh, to, be, to be transformed through resurrection with Jesus? If so, what are they? And those are those other things. Maybe you have some desires that are actually the desire itself is really healthy. But the way that it's expressing itself and the things it's trying to attach onto, not so much. And so are there any of those things in your life? And if so, what? And then lastly, what do you imagine? And we, we heard some amazing Holy Spirit-empowered uh, things about imagination earlier in our worship time. What do you imagine it could be like to receive and live in the extravagant love of God in all aspects of your life, right? And, and kind of pretend like there are no boundaries, right? What, what could that look like, right? What could it be like to be able to speak to someone in a way that was helpful? Maybe there's someone you're continually butting heads with and you just don't know how to converse with them. What would it be like to have something to say that was helpful or be able to hear in a way that you could go, oh, I get it now. I finally feel like I hear that. What would that look like? What would that be like? Okay, let's pray and then we'll close with a song. God, you are so good to us. Lord, I... I have to confess that talking about the extravagance of your love, uh, it's almost, um, if, if I let my mind go too far, it becomes almost embarrassing um, that there is uh, an honest, even sensuality about it. Talk about looking into the eyes of a lover, looking into the hearts of a lover, knowing that you desire a deep, intimate relationship with us. Um, God, but that's me learning. That I, I, it's the stuff I gotta learn. It's the walls I have to let down. Um, it's the things that you're inviting me into, Holy Spirit, new, to see in a new way, to keep growing, and how to hear and know you. So I pray for each one of us, whatever things we have, whatever new ways we're seeing you, God, I pray we celebrate and honor those and, and move in those um, and share those with one another. Share our ideas, share our thoughts, and share our life and the adventure that we have in you. God, the days seem dark right now. We pray as we are the light. You've given us your spirit. I pray we go into the world and not be shy about it, not be shy about loving and caring and and moving for your kingdom. I pray we would step into the things that are bigger and beyond ourselves, um, knowing that you go with us. Yeah. Jesus, we give you thanks for this time and, and, and our time together. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen.